So God, thank you for all that you've done, Lord, and help us to celebrate your Savior that would be our Savior this Christmas season. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, welcome this morning. Merry Christmas. All right, there we go. You're a little bit awake. It's a little cold this morning, I get it. Uh, good to see you all this morning as we celebrate the birth. And uh, just to let you know, you know, again, tonight we'll have our Christmas Eve service at 4.30, our candlelight service. And uh, I know many of you will be bringing family members and guests, and, and we're expecting a fair amount of people. So make sure when you come, pack in here, help people find seats, and uh, we'll have a good evening as well. And also on New Year's Eve, next Sunday, we'll have one service at 10.30. Jim Harding is going to be preaching for us there, and it should be a good time. Well, this morning, we're taking a break from the book of Hebrews, and we're going to talk about a little Christmas story to celebrate Christmas some. You know, as I think back about all my Christmases, um, I often look back and think that I had good Christmases because of my mom. <laughs> she was the one that really was working behind the scenes to make sure we had all the, all the right presents, right? The decorations got put up, that everything went well, the food was on time, and sure, you know, dad's there to make sure everything's paid for, and sometimes he's the elf, but really, it's mom, right? And so I'm thankful for moms this morning that are um, helping Christmas be what it is. In fact, just two weeks ago, my mom was here, and we were calling her the spirit of Christmas. In fact, we were asking her advice on what we should do this year in our family to make sure that Christmas went really well. And so we're thankful for our moms and all that they do in these seasons. And so today I thought it would be best to consider one of the best known moms in the Bible, and that's Mary, right? She was the one that was to be the mother of Jesus. And, I mean, as you know, Mary kind of played a really critical role in the Christmas story, right? Without Mary, we don't get Jesus. Now, God could have done it another way, um, but Mary plays a really critical role in kicking off that first Christmas. So take your Bibles, and we're going to look at this story where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her that she's going to be the mom of the Messiah. This is in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 um, through 38. And it's really a fascinating account of what the angel says is going to take place. And so I will read this for us, and then we'll make a few comments uh, about what the angel says here. So starting in verse 26, it says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, Well, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, as we take, as we look at this great account of the work that God was doing in Mary's life, I think it tells us a, a few things and really a couple things that I want to look at this morning that at this Christmas, we want to celebrate God's favor to us that we see in Mary and also learn how to respond to God in faith like she did. And so a couple things that we can say this morning. First one is this, that God shows favor to his people. This is what Christmas reminds us of, right? Twice in here, Luke 1, 28 and 30, Gabriel says to Mary, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So twice it's said that Mary is favored of God. We, we need to understand what that means. This word for favor, this is the Greek word charis which is the same word that's used in the New Testament for grace. Okay, this is an interesting connection. When we speak about grace, we define grace really as God's unmerited favor to us. That the favor of God comes to us despite who we are, what we've done. This is, this is God's grace. That the favor of God, the God of the universe would be concerned with us, that he cares for us, and more than that, that we are special in his eyes. In fact, he's working good on our behalf. This is his favor. And again, as we look in the Bible, God's favor is usually in spite of who we are and what we've done. We don't deserve it, and yet he gives us favor. You know, many times in my life I can look back and see where God has been good to me when I did not deserve it. And you probably can, too, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while. You can look at all the places where he has shown you great favor and grace when nothing in your life would deserve such a thing. And really, Christmas should remind us all the time of God's love for us that we get better than we deserve. Let me ask the kids this morning. Have you been good or bad this year? Some don't, okay, some don't know. That's honest, right? Some have been good. I heard some bad ones out there. But what are your parents going to do for you tomorrow? Are you still going to get presents either way? No? Okay, well, your parents are stricter than we are. <laughs> Most parents give presents to us despite how we've been during the year. Okay? Our presence at Christmas time should remind us of God's good favor for us, remind us that God loves us. Deeply. That's why we give presents is to remind us what we've received in Christ when he came to this earth. And in Mary's case, we see here there was nothing special about Mary, really, for God to favor her. And yet God decided to show her grace and favor her. In fact, Mary in Luke 1, 46 and 48 in her song, she rejoices, it says, in God her Savior, for he has looked on my humble estate Right? And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
In other words, Mary's rejoicing in the fact that, listen, there was nothing special about me, and yet I was probably one of the most poorest ones, the humblest ones, and yet God chose me and placed his favor on me. And really, this is the amazing part of the Christian story, that God has regularly used lowly people, weak people, people that didn't deserve to be in a relationship with him, to bring about great things in this world. And for Mary, it was to bring about the birth of our Savior. Think about it. God chose this humble woman to be the mother of the Savior of the world. That's God's favor. Quite a plan, a redemptive act to take the daughter of Eve, right? Eve is the one that with Adam plunged us into sin and now to raise up this woman to be part of the plan to redeem the world. This is God's good favor for Mary to have a special task. And I think this reminds us that God has similarly placed his favor on those of us that he is saving and making his sons and daughters. You might ask, why would God place his favor on me? Have you ever thought about that? Why does God love me? Moses tells us about why God chose Israel to be his special people in Deuteronomy, and I think it also speaks to our salvation. Deuteronomy 7, 6 and 7 says, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, and it's not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. In fact, it's saying you are the fewest, but it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the promises that he has made. See, God picked Israel not because they were strong or they were special. In fact, they were relatively weak and small and broken, but he chose them because he wanted to set his love on them. That's our good God. When he chooses us and begins to save us, it's because he wants to place its favor on us. And when we decide to follow Jesus, we get to experience his favor. And it's not about anything we've done. Not about anything inherently good in us. This is his grace. That God in his love decided to set his love on you so that you could know him through his son. He's lavished his favor upon you extravagantly in the gift of his son. And that gift we get to humbly receive and enjoy. In fact, the Bible tells us that God even placed his love on us when we were, we were far from lovable. In fact, we were God's enemies. Romans 5.8 tells us God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means this morning and this weekend, let Christmas remind you that God loves you even when you are unlovable. <laughs> the whole world was God's enemy, and yet he sent his son as a baby so that we could be redeemed. And sometimes we may feel like, well, God, you know, it feels like God just likes perfect people. That's who he sets his, his love on. But God shows us over and over again, it's the weak it's the lowly, it's the ones you would never quite think would make it. It's the ones that are broken and poor that God puts his love on. In fact, we read this book a couple of years ago, and I encourage you to read it if you haven't read it. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, and he talks about the fact how Jesus is excited to come and meet us in our brokenness. He has this great example. You know, we, we often take 
uh, mission trips, and we go and we try to help people in other countries. And he talks about how Jesus is like this great surgeon that's excited to go where he is most needed and pour out his gifts on those that need it. That is God's love towards us. He places his favor on us when we don't deserve it. Matthew 5, 3, what Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this Christmas, we need to remember that God sent his son so that you could experience his love and favor. That's God's favor towards us. Good news of the gospel. Those that confess Jesus as Lord, have their sins washed away by him, and begin to live for him, experience his favor in so many ways. And God's welcomed you into his kingdom. And just like Mary says, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And we follow Christ. You know, we get presents under the tree that are great, but we often... Um, love Christmas the most because of those that we are with. And part of God's greatest gift to us in his favor is he said, I will be with you. Right? This is Jesus come to us, Emmanuel, God with us. He's come to be with us and walk through all of life and to bring us freedom. So as we celebrate the birth of Jesus today in this season, let's remember God's extravagant gift to us in his son that shows us his love and favor towards us. So if we are in Jesus, we're favored in God's sight. But this passage also reminds us of something else, and I like this. It tells us that nothing is impossible with God. I love this part of the story. It presents us with this absolute truth that God can do anything, right? As Gabriel reveals to Mary that she will be the Messiah, or that she will bear the Messiah, look what it Look what he says, or look what Mary says to the angel in verse 34 again. She says again, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Right, good question. And then the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and be called Holy, the Son of God. And your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren for nothing is impossible with God. In this short passage, God has said that he's going to cause two miraculous births. Okay, this, this, is, this is amazing. One, a conception through a young virgin girl, and another through an old barren woman, so that Mary would know that God was doing something miraculous in her. Th- this is crazy, right? But our God is the one that calls into existence things that do not exist, as Paul tells us in Romans 4, 17. And really, we like to celebrate this concept as, at Christmas. You know, this is kind of the Christmas magic of the Hallmark story that Christmas is getting a little rough on the way in, and then all of a sudden, all the presents and all the good things appear, right? And really, this is celebrating what God did for us, that what we never thought could have happened, God brought it about. In fact, I used to love as a kid to run down the stairs and see what had appeared overnight at Christmas. Are there any kids excited to do that tomorrow? You guys looking out for presents tomorrow? You ready to go down and see what has just shown up? (laughs) Well, this started with God, our Father, 
that nothing is impossible for him. And in our darkest hour, he sent his son into this world so that we could know him. You know, I asked the staff this week, what do we think about this verse? Right? Nothing's impossible with God. What do we think about this verse? Because this is real easy to, to read and maybe even kind of conceptually believe in our head. But do we really live in faith as if that's true? You ever ask yourself that? If we did, what, what would that look like? And we kind of wrestled through this, and here's kind of what we said. First off, I think, and this seems obvious, but we got to remember this verse is about God. Okay? This is about God's power and who he is. It's not about some kind of self-actualization that we would set some lofty goal and try to force God to meet our crazy dreams. Right? That's not what this is talking about. And a lot of Christians shipwreck their faith thinking God is going to back up whatever crazy intention they have. That's not how God works. God can do anything, but he's got a plan to save the world in Christ. And he's going to accomplish his plan, but he will do it on his ways and his time. Because this verse is about God and his power, that he can do what we least expect. In fact, he can move in our lives in ways we never could have expected. Paul gets at this in Ephesians 3.20 and 21. He talks about God, that he is the one who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could think or ask according to the, his power that's working in us. The message of the gospel is not try harder and maybe you'll find your way. It's about appealing to God more because he is the one that can make a way. Right? This, this verse is about God. Sometimes he makes a way in ways we never could have imagined. You know, at Christmas, we celebrate God fulfilling all of his promises from across the Old Testament to bring a Messiah, and he did it through a young virgin girl. <laughs> who would have thought that was possible? This is our God who can do the impossible. Nothing is impossible. And then if this is our God, then I think we can say we should expect that God will move in our lives and in our world. Christians should be a people of more hope than anybody else on this planet because we believe in a God that can do anything and does do anything to accomplish his goals. You pretty much have the prime mover of the whole universe on speed dial when you pray today, right? Nothing is impossible for our God. There's no impossible situation when you know this God. He can move in any situation. And as we begin to look at our lives going into 2024, let's be expectant that God is going to move. <laughs> Sometimes I think we forget that he moves. Maybe you've been stuck in addiction. Listen, that's not the end of the story if this God is your God having problems in your marriage or other relationships. Listen, God can begin to work to put you and your spouse back together. Nothing is impossible with this God. Some of you I know have lost your job, and I've seen God take care of his people and provide over and over and over. Nothing is impossible with this God. In fact, I would pray that he'd give you a better job and one where you can be a better witness for him in the future. I think as Christians, we should expect God to bring joy 
in the day-to-day of our life. We should expect God to bring peace into our hearts. That's what the angels are declaring he's done when Christ came. And as God is with us, we can expect to have joy in all of life. Let's expect more that God would save people in this city, that God would draw our children's hearts to him, that nothing is impossible with this God. We should live with hope that he will move because he has moved in the past. And as we consider this verse, I think it leads us to some action that we should ask God for some big things, right? Let's, God, let's ask God to move in our lives. Let's ask God to move in this city. Let's ask God to move in our church. James 4, 2, he tells us we do not have because we do not ask. <laughs> this God can do anything, and if he can do anything, we ought to ask him to do something. Would you agree? Again, Paul in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says God can even do far more than you would ever ask or think. Now, important to say here, because sometimes God doesn't give us what we want or ask for, right? James 4, 3, in fact, reminds us that sometimes we ask God for things and we ask out of our own heart to spend it on our own pleasures and in our own ways without thoughts to God's plans. And so God says no. Other times, God says no because he's working out a different plan. It's still going to be good, but it may not have been what we thought it needed to be. And our job is to have faith that God can do anything if he chooses to or not, and we trust in his plan. And we have faith that his plan will ultimately be good for us in this world, which can bring us great peace as we walk through life. So what are you going to ask God for this year? The God that can do the impossible, what are you going to ask him for? He wants to hear from us. Now all the kids I know are thinking, I'm going to ask for more Legos and video games and all the stuff. That's not what God's saying. (laughs) Though he likes those requests too, keep yours. Just tell him when we ask things according to his will, he's happy to hear our prayers and move in great ways. There are no impossible situations with God because God can do the impossible. So let's walk in faith this year, knowing that he will move and ask him to do big things for our lives and in the world to make Jesus known. Now, the impossible work God was doing with Mary was to bring Jesus into the world by this virgin birth. And as the angel was answering Mary's questions, he also indicates why Jesus had to be conceived in this way. Have you ever thought about this? Why did Jesus need to be born by a virgin girl? And he gives us the answer. Look what it says in Luke 1.35. It says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. When we look at the Bible, the Bible teaches us that we are all born with a sin nature. This is like a hereditary disease that we get passed on from our fathers all the way back to Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. They rebelled against him in Genesis 3, it tells us. And then every son born to them after had the same disease that they did. And it was a heart that led them in rebellion against God and into sin. And as we grow older, our sin nature takes hold of us and we will sin and we will stray from God. 
sickness, the disease that we all have. In fact, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, We are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we are sons of disobedience following the ways of the world, and we are by nature children of wrath like all of mankind. We're in a tough situation, right? This is the world we're born into. There is no hope in this situation. We are apart from God. And so we are in need of a redeemer because we have no way out of this cycle of sin and death. And so if Jesus is going to come into our world and save us, become like us, to live the righteous life that God intended that we live, and be the perfect sacrifice we need on the cross, then his birth has to be different. He can't be born with this sin nature if he's going to be holy. And so enter God. Again, this is God showing us favor, doing the impossible while we are estranged from him. Luke one thirty five tells us why God is Jesus' father, and it's so that Jesus can be called holy. This is how Jesus can be fully human and without sin and yet also fully God. He is God. He has God as his father and he has Mary as his mother. And when God steps in as his father, he interrupts that line of passing down of the sin nature from father to son. So Jesus enters the world having broken the chain of our inherited sin nature. This is good news for us. This is why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49, calls Jesus the new Adam because God is remaking humanity in Christ. He's the first man remade without a sin nature by God. And this, the way Jesus is born, points to what God is going to do in our life as he saves us. Think back to John chapter 3. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? our salvation was going to be like. He said we're going to be born again, right? We're going to be born again with a different nature. Jesus in John 3, 1 through 8 teaches Nicodemus, if we're going to be part of the kingdom of God, then we need to be born again by the Spirit to be saved. God must do a supernatural work in our heart to cure us of this disease of our sin nature if we will begin to live for him. And this is the work God promises to do for us in Jesus. In fact, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 tells us that, talks about this work. When God saves us, it says he will give us a new heart and a new spirit. He will move our heart of stone that was wanting to rebel against him, and he will put his spirit within us and cause us to walk in his ways being remade in Christ just as Christ was the first man to be remade, be remade. And so the question for us as we come to the Christmas season is always, have you been remade in Christ? Have you been born again? Do you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead so that you can be saved? You know, growing up, I, I had a I had a good uh, pastor growing up, and he was really a great pe- preacher that I enjoyed, even from the time I was young. And he always used to preach this sermon before each winter called, Come Before Winter. Right? Every fall he preached this sermon to follow. He's urging people, follow Jesus before it's too late. 
right? To follow Jesus before we go into the darkest time of the year or the darkest time of your life. And the birth of Jesus at Christmas reminds us that we need to be born again. And this is God's invitation to us to come to him and be born again, to be made holy by this child that would grow up to be the king of all the universe. This is why Jesus is born in this way. But the passage also tells us who this baby is. This holy baby, it says in verse 32, is to be great and is called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And his kingdom will be no end. I think we have a little slide up here. Uh, Max sent me this. He's our junior high minister, and he sent me this slide. Um, oh, we don't have it. Thanks, Ron. Um, well, who likes the song, Mary, Did You Know? Well, this answers the question. She knew. And she also knew her Old Testament, and she'd read Isaiah 53, and so she knew that he would suffer. But this is saying that this man is going to be the king that God has promised for so long that is going to save us from our sins and reign forever. And so finally, as we come towards the end of this passage, this passage also gives us an important example of what faith looks like in Mary. So what's Mary's response after having heard everything the angel said to her through Gabriel? Right, You're going to conceive this Messiah, Jesus. He's going to save the world, Mary. It's going to happen through a, a miraculous virgin birth. And by the way, your relative Elizabeth, she's also going to have a baby, even though she's old and barren. And what does Mary say? Look at verse 38. It says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Wow. Right? I believe that you said, God, I'll follow you. Let it happen in my life. This is her response. In short, in her short response, Mary demonstrates for us what true faith looks like. If you remember last week, we were looking at Hebrews chapter 11, this great hall of faith that recounts so many that followed God throughout all of the Bible. And we define true faith as this. It's really belief in what God has said plus our life action, that we live our lives as if what God has said is true. And here we see this in Mary's life. She believes what God has said to her through this angel, and then she yields her life to it. Says, let's do it, God. I believe you. Let it be done to me according to your word. In other words, I'm ready and willing to walk out what you've said in your word. May it happen. Whatever comes my way, I'll believe what you said, and I'll live it out. And you can better believe times got hard for Mary. <laughs> One of my favorite Christmas movies uh, is the Nativity Story. It's uh, getting older now. Um, but it shows, I think, really well how Mary was ridiculed. Right? For this idea of virgin birth. Could you imagine trying to tell your friends that this is what God had said to you? They're like, wink, wink, yeah, we know what you guys were doing. Right? In fact, she risked being stoned for such a sin in the Jewish culture at that time. Even Joseph, Matthew 1.19 tells us that 
that he was willing to put her away quietly because he didn't want to shame her. He wanted to divorce her and not be married to her because he didn't believe what she had said. And then Joseph, when the angel appeared to him, believed what the angel said to him and began to live it out in faith as if it was true. Now listen, faith is not easy, right? We know this. Faith is not easy to live out in this world today. But true faith clings to what God has said, and then it lives it out as if it is true. Because Mary and Joseph had faith, the world gets a Savior, and the Bible tells us by faith we make that Savior our Savior. I think Mary's example of faith, we can heighten it even a little more here at the end as we look back just a little bit in chapter 1 and compare Mary's response to that of Zacharias, right? Zechariah was a priest of God. He went into the temple, and there the angel Gabriel revealed to him that his wife Elizabeth was going to have a baby, even though she was barren. And it seems to be evident that Zechariah had been praying and asking God for this because Gabriel says, your prayers have been heard. And yet, Luke 1.18 records Zechariah's response. So Zechariah, when he heard this news, said, well, how am I going to know this? Like, are you really going to do this, God? For I'm an old man and my wife is old and advanced in years. And Luke 1, 19 and 20 tells us that Gabriel tells Zechariah because he didn't believe what he said to him, he was going to be mute until this baby was born. Zechariah didn't take God at his word, but Mary did, right? Mary's word is, says, all right, Sounds good, God. I believe you. Let's see it happen. And I think as we come into this Christmas season, God is asking us to be people that take him at his word and then live it out, the truth of what he said. And when we do that, you'll see God do impossible things. You'll experience the favor of God in your life as Christ redeems your life. And band, you can come on up. See, Christmas is a celebration of God's favor towards us as human beings in the whole world. We were stuck in our sin. We were stuck in the darkness of this world. And yet God entered in through his son to bring light. He did the impossible to send Jesus through this young virgin girl to save us. And that we get to enjoy God's favor towards us in Christ. Listen, he could do the impossible things to redeem our life. He can do impossible things to bring us joy and peace in whatever we are facing. Our God is able to change our life. And this Christmas season reminds us that he's able to do it. But it takes faith. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you want to make me Lord, you have to believe in me and follow me with everything in your life. So the question for us this morning is, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, Will you make Jesus your Lord? Do you believe that this is God's man? That he has come to redeem us, to change our life so that we could be with the Father forever? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness to us. That you placed your favor on us even though we didn't deserve it. And you sent your son Christ in impossible ways, impossible circumstances, so that he 
could redeem us from our sins and we could walk with you forever. Father, may we celebrate your son this week with you. In Christ's name we pray.